another thing that we do is we always say, you know, we are not making a tuna for, for vegans. That's very important. We're making tuna for people who love tuna. And our sandwich should satisfy anyone who's just looking for a delicious lunch. And, and that sets the, the framework for, for our product development. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is the Climate 21 podcast, the number one podcast showcasing best practices in climate emissions reductions. And I'm your host, Global Vice President for SAP, Tom Raftery. Climate 21 is the name of an initiative by SAP to allow our customers calculate, report and reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. In this Climate 21 podcast, I will showcase best practices and thought leadership by SAP, by our customers, by our partners and by our competitors if they're game, in climate emissions reductions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice to be sure you don't miss any episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Climate 21 podcast. My name is Tom Raftery with SAP. And with me on the show today, I have my special guest, Jakob. Jakob, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks for having me. Um, I am uh, the co-founder, so one of the founders uh, of Betterfish and Ocean Fruit, two brands that are developing delicious uh, foods based on seaweed. And what we do is we, we build new products, new supply chains with plants from the oceans, many cases to replace animals from the oceans based on these very exciting plants. And my co-founder, Dennis, she's not with me here today, but of course, I want to mention her as well. <laughs> okay, superb, superb. And Jakob, why? why? Why are you doing this? What's the, the, the reasoning behind your brands? Yeah. So um, as a company, um, we started with a fascination for seaweed, so for plants that can be cultivated in salt water in the oceans. Just because, on, on first of all, before we really got into the material, just on paper, it looked like the golden bullet, you know, the solution for so many problems. Uh, there are plants that you can cultivate without any soil, without any fresh water, without the input of fertilizers, um, just in the ocean. And 71% uh, of this planet are covered by oceans. Mm. So, um, yeah, the, it was just the last question was, why are we not doing this? here especially in europe or in north america and um, yeah we went out and traveled and met a lot of pioneers here in europe who are already cultivating seaweed and um, also saw the larger industries existing in uh, east asia which was very impressive and uh, then yeah during that journey Another aspect uh, was added to this whole list of positive impacts, and that is that fishing communities, people who depend on the oceans for their livelihood, uh, that's, that's almost uh, 800 million people worldwide who indirectly or directly depend on fishing. And they have the know-how and the infrastructure to switch from fishing or, let's say, salmon farming, things like that, to seaweed cultivation. So in the end, we were seeing that there's really the opportunity to to realize a win-win-win situation for the environment for people and in the end also for new economies you know that that are regenerative basically we then set our goal to help build this new uh, regenerative maritime industry and uh, as i said some people already cultivated seaweed in europe 
But the problem was really the demand. Um, nobody wanted to eat these plants. <laughs> <laughs> so all the sustainability buzzwords don't help if nobody buys your products. And yep. then obviously these farms also don't grow. So we said, right, we have to actually develop the supply chains. We have to create products that people love and consume on a daily basis. And we have to make it somehow accessible and, and delicious for uh other culinary contexts outside East Asia, because we also have different species here that we're cultivating. So we can't just do the same products. And yeah, basically that's the, that's what we're doing. And we have an organic brand, which makes seaweed popular the way it is. So not it's not trying to be something else. You know, it's seaweed salads. It's for people, early adopters in the organic shops who actually already are very fond of seaweed. And then we have a brand, Better Fish, and that is actually mimicking seafood with these plants from the oceans and that's something that we discovered along the way that obviously i mean now afterwards it's very obvious but uh, we, are, we are the first ones doing this so you need plants from the oceans to recreate these animals from the oceans because these plants are so rich in nutrients that you would only get from seafood and they also bring flavors and textures and a lot of opportunities to for example, build a, a vegan uh, salmon or a vegan tuna. And the tuna is our first animal that we successfully managed to create with seaweed. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Because seaweed, at least I, I'm originally from Ireland, and communities in the west of Ireland for generations used to harvest seaweed, but rarely for food, more so for a form of fertilizer, for fertilizing what the land in the west of Ireland is, is quite poor. So this was a, a cheap way of getting fertilizer to fertilize land. There was there, there is one species of seaweed which has been used as a source of food. It's called carrageen moss, but not widely utilized. Why have we not up until now really exploited seaweed as a, as a source of food? Yeah, I mean, good for us, as, as you mentioned, that, that coastal communities in Europe have always had some or the other use for seaweed. And that's good because this way, uh, this is, for example, not a novel food, which is, uh, you know, in the, in the terms of like food regulation, it's very hard to introduce something that nobody has ever eaten before. Right. It's a very long... Uh, Regulatory process. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible process. <laughs> and in this case, you know, we can always argument that some uh, Celtic people somewhere have eaten this uh, before. <laughs> so, <laughs> so some tribes. <laughs> um, actually, so, uh, a lot of our seaweed also comes from Ireland. Part of our team is there right now um, because the harvest season is going on, and some of other uh, some other seaweeds we cultivate in in Norway uh, with a partner there. Yeah, and basically the I think the seaweed always had a bad reputation um, when it comes to eating it fully because it was this kind of poor people's food in a way. Maybe um, I think it was in Norway where they even have a term of. Uh, dying with seaweed in your mouth uh, for a term of like if you're very uh, you know very desperate and poor wow. and um, it's it's not been attractive and it's I think one of these things where we actually have to add a lot of processes to it so and that has to develop if you look at coffee or chocolate if you have a raw coffee cherry or you have a, a chocolate fruit, uh, a cocoa fruit, you know, you, you have to come with a lot of different processes 
to end up with you know some of the most popular agricultural products in the world mm. so if we if you just pick a seaweed and eat it it won't be terrible but it also won't really excite you you know <laughs> so you you need to find ways to make this delicious and you, you have to put some effort in it and i guess it has always been easier to just catch fish and seafood and, and eat that instead instead of really putting a lot of effort into these plants and learning how to cultivate them and even even in asia uh, the seaweed industry when it comes to cultivation is pretty young so they know how to cultivate seaweed since only 50 years wow. and before okay. that um it has been mostly wild harvested but that obviously has a limit and um, yeah, you mentioned carrageenan or there's also other binders that are already used in the food industry and in cosmetics and so on. And they are made from extracts from, from seaweed. But this has always been mostly wild harvested seaweed. And yeah, we, we are aiming to cultivate certain species and to have a regenerative impact with this form of cultivation and eating it. But we have to, yeah, you know, we have to make it attractive. And it's delicious and apparently nobody managed that before here. <laughs> and and if you're going for cultivated seaweeds, will that will that will the cultivation of the seaweed will it help local biodiversity or will it be like agriculture and land here is very very often monoculture which reduces mm. biodiversity? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a it's a very young industry right now. So there's not too much specific research yet around it, but you can see or you have first results where you can find that around seaweed farms, if seaweed is cultivated in the oceans, the biodiversity increases in these areas. Okay. So that's one of many regenerative impacts that uh, if you cultivate seaweed, it's kind of like a, almost like a reforestation. So you have a temporary you have kind of a floating ecosystem there where, you know, small fish schools and other organisms can can hide. And um, obviously, you know, fishing uh, cannot happen in the seaweed farm. So it's it's uh, giving a, a break to the ecosystem in that sense. And it's, yeah, it's, it's increasing biodiversity. That's our goal. And we are cultivating local species. So this is something that would grow in the same way in the wild. But sadly... Um, in many areas, there's a loss in uh, natural and wild seaweed forests. So, yeah, this seaweed cultivation, as well as the protection of these natural seaweed forests, is important to increase biodiversity and kind of rebuild fish stocks and so on. Okay, and what's what's causing the natural loss of the seaweeds? Is it pollution? Is it just mankind's encroachment? What What is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's many, sometimes very complex things that we do to the maritime ecosystems. In some ecosystems, through fishing and disruption of the, the natural habitat, you lose certain species or you, you kind of push away certain species and then the seaweed forest loses its balance and you have other species kind of eating up those ecosystems. For example, you lose certain larger, you know, up in the food chain uh, animals. Keystone species. And, yeah, keystone, keystone species. And then, for example, sea urchins start eating up the forest because nobody uh, eats them anymore. Right. That's something that happens. And obviously fishing and trawling and all these things destroy ecosystems as well. And then uh, there's obviously climate change, uh, which changes 
ecosystems and acidification. So yeah, it's it's not looking pretty when it comes to our oceans. We really have to do something to mm. to make it better. And to cultivate seaweed, I mean, you mentioned sea urchins eat the seaweeds and destroy them. Do you have pests like that that you have to deal with? And how, what are the challenges you face in cultivating seaweed? Yeah, yeah. So this is actually one thing that really is, uh, for example, in the in Nordics and Norway, the the window of the cultivation is really set by at what point these all these microorganisms and you know biofouling you call it when do they all start getting really active mm -hmm. uh, that you have to harvest before that so it kind of limits the the growth of the seaweed farm but it it can be can be arranged just with the temperature because these organisms just start coming up as, as soon as there's more sun more temperature so you have to harvest right now and you have a growing window from kind of january to now and then you harvest before these organisms get too active and kind of start eating up your your harvest and that's the way it works right now yeah just like with agriculture you know you have obviously always so many different things happening and things you have to learn and that's always hard in the beginning if you've never done it before and in europe right now we can cultivate only four seaweed species Okay. Uh, maybe some more are, are are on the you know in in projects and you know in experiments. But if you would put that into perspective with land crops, you know this is like we are living in Stone Age. <laughs> we we only know how to cultivate four things, and yet you know such a large part of our planet is covered by oceans. So there's a really a huge opportunity here when it comes to the future of food and and new things that we can do in the future. Okay. And talk to me then about better fish, because we've talked a little bit about where you're sourcing the seaweed for better fish, but we haven't talked about the products themselves. So you've, you've just mentioned them in passing. Tell me a little bit more about them. They're a seafood substitute, uh, or they're a fish substitute is probably a more accurate way of putting it. I had a recent episode with a company called Rebellious Foods, where they're making a chicken meat substitute using plants. So this sounds like something very similar, except it's in the seafood space as opposed to the chicken space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's our, our first species is tuna that we are replacing. It's one of these key species in mm. the oceans. Yeah, It's uh, heavily overfished everywhere. And it's eaten everywhere um, because we've made it so, the sad thing about the tuna is that we made it so easy to consume it all over the world. You just open a can, you put it on your sandwich or, or mm. whatever, you know, it's so convenient and so easy. And that's why we kind of, we are killing these beautiful fish, which are, if you look at the food web, they're almost like the tigers of the ocean. Yeah, they're keystone species as well. Yeah. So we, we take these tigers and we put them in a can looking like cat food. And, and that's, that's really sad. And 80% of all tuna ends up in cans, 80% uh. of all tuna caught. And for us, it was clear that this is a great opportunity to start with replacing fish because in the can or on your sandwich, on your pizza, tuna pizza is very popular in Central Europe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it says popular somewhere. Um, you know, in 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 all these products, it doesn't look like a fish anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. It it just it's not really distinguishable, and it's not like we have to copy an entire beautiful tuna. We just have to make something that works the same way in the sandwich, on the pizza, on your salad, in all these applications in the can. 
And then, you know, people are very, will be very happy to shift because the sad story of the tuna, you know, everybody knows it by now. Yeah, yeah. And most people buy it with a, you know, kind of a bad feeling. And now we can offer, you know, beautiful, we, we started with a lot of convenience products to make it easier. So we have ready to eat sandwiches in the supermarkets, you know, the triangle the sandwich that you would grab in your lunch break mm -hmm. if you're um, busy. And and we have frozen pizzas for that. We have uh, a lot of food service projects where, you know, restaurants and gastronomy partners want to also replace tuna with our product. And that's what we're starting with. And then in the pipeline, we have other fish species and seafood products that we want to work with next. Okay. And are you making the actual sandwiches themselves or are you making the tuna substitute ingredient for the sandwich and selling that to the sandwich makers or is it a combination yeah so we are only doing research and development so uh, we have a team of 10 uh, scientists and food technologists and culinary experts chefs uh, you know who all work together very well and develop um, these products and explore seaweed for us and then we kind of develop our own ingredients so the seaweed that we use the seaweed mixes the processing that happens before with the seaweed we kind of we have developed and set up you know ingredients and seaweed mixes and so on that you cannot buy off the shelf so this is this is kind of where on one hand developing our own ingredients same with protein we are working with organic fava bean protein that we have developed together with a cooperative who owns the whole fava bean supply chain from cultivation to protein extraction to extrusion so we develop these ingredients and we have to because nobody has done a good tuna replacement before so that was up to us and then we have large scale partners who produce this at scale very fast so we don't own any of these Uh, factories which helped us to grow much faster than if you would have of course much more efficient much cheaper than if you have to build your own factory and um, so one place where they create this whole tuna and then we work with a large sandwich factory with a large pizza factory and, and they just use it as ingredients okay and what was most challenging is it getting the flavor right or the texture right or both <laughs> or something else yeah. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Yeah, I mean, it was everything was, uh, yeah, it, it, it's always very exciting and uh, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, one of the most obvious things you could imagine is that what happens if you use uh, seaweed is that our first tuna products were green. And uh, <laughs> this is something you obviously don't want. And, you know, like like when you're working with paint, you know, the more colors you add, you the more you are going into some kind of dark uh, yeah. <laughs> area. Of, so, yeah, that's, that's something. But in general, we've said for us, you know, to understand our development, we have like a clear 
frame and goals that we want to achieve with our products. And they guide us through our development. So we have a set of rules and things that we want to achieve. And this, for example, that we don't want to work with soy. Uh, there should not be, let's say, gluten in the product, no added sugars, uh, no artificial colors, no artificial flavors. And, um, you know, if you already cross all that out, you kind of focus on, on certain things that you can do and that can help uh, and that can create an outstanding product. Another thing that we do is we, we always say, you know, we are not making a tuna for, for vegans. That's very important. We're, we're making tuna for people who love tuna. And our sandwich should satisfy anyone who's just looking for a delicious lunch. And, and that sets the, the framework for, for our product development. But it also makes it more difficult. So um, mm. when it comes to colors, for example, then we have a certain range of organic uh, kind of vegetable products <laughs> that we can use to impact the color. But it, yeah, in the end, it worked and it was worth uh, taking the effort. Okay, nice. If I had a better fish tuna sandwich in one hand and an, a tuna tuna fish sandwich <laughs> in my other hand, and I took a bite out of each, would I be able to tell the difference? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, the goal that you can't tell the difference. Uh, you should not notice the difference. Now, I don't know what kind of a tuna expert you are. So if you're, <laughs> if you're really, really into it, I mean, I'm sure uh, there are people who can tell the difference. There are people who say that ours is better than the, the actual tuna. I mean, that's our upside, you know. Our tuna can always get better. Tuna, can, that's just tuna, can't do much about it. And tuna comes in so many, so the, the real tuna, you know, it comes yeah. in so many colors and shapes and formats. So it's always, also always looking a little bit different. But our end goal is to be on one level with tuna when it comes to the whole taste flavor texture experience you shouldn't notice the difference but also when it comes to the nutritional profile and nutritional benefits i mean there's reasons why tuna is so popular you know and we want to reach those same benefits or even go beyond those with our product and price of course is a big thing with tuna and uh, we are always striving to to reach price parity so that you can not only taste no difference, but uh, you will also pay the same yeah. for both products. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question is <laughs> price. It, from what you're saying there, it sounds like at the moment you haven't hit price parity yet, but obviously that's something that's on your roadmap. I mean, one thing in this context of plant-based meats and uh, plant-based foods and vegan eating and price parity is that people forget that the end price is not in our hands. So it's not an engineering question only how much does a product in the supermarket cost. And if some supermarkets believe that, you know, uh, they can charge extra for vegan products because that is an audience that pays extra, then I can't do anything about it. And I, actually, I, I will get penalties and fines if I discuss prices too much with the supermarket. There's like all these, <laughs> all these roots in place. So it's not in my hands. And mm -hmm. the problem right now in some supermarkets is that they do that. They, they think, okay, the, these are people who are willing to pay more. But then that's a self-fulfilling self prophecy, right? Because mm -hmm. then you will end up, uh, of course, that only people who can pay more buy it. And then yeah. it stays that way. That's a problem that we have seen many times you know and 
it the whole trading structure has a big impact so if we trade with someone who has a very centralized efficient system then the sandwich in the shop will be very cheap and almost in price parity so it depends where you buy it sometimes we can reach already the price of any other sandwich our sandwiches in germany they cost 249 euros for a ready-to-eat sandwich if in the supermarket of course if you buy it in a gas station train station i mean you know what it is then yeah. <laughs> it will cost uh, more but there everything else costs more as well okay okay cool and that's tuna have you plans for other fish other seafood yeah, yeah. so actually if you look at our product innovation pipeline there's kind of these these things on the surface that you as a consumer can see so there's the tu- the, the tuna products and then this whole range of like sandwiches uh, next for us really important that we're trying to nail right now is that have a ch- more chunky more filet like structure in the can and the whole canning industrial canning process you know we are trying to crack that for for a plant-based product which is not easy because with meat products and fish products in cans they go in there raw or half cooked and then the, the canning is kind of a, a way to actually reach the flavors and the textures that you want to reach in our case, we cannot mimic a ripening and and cooking process with with our tuna. So the the challenge is to really find the right technologies and make a canned product that tastes the way that we want to, and and use the existing industry for it. So we will work with a large fish canning company just because it's exciting for them, and mm. we want to take them on board. And obviously, they they have the infrastructure and they're super efficient. In what they do so we can learn a lot there so the tuna can for example is, is one thing that we want to be you know really good at and then there's also white fish so the kind of mass products like the you know fish au filet or uh, fish and chips and uh, fish fingers all these applications and then also the crustaceans uh, shrimps you know that's also a very interesting area for us but to get there underneath we need like this deep seaweed know-how and this innovation around these plants so we have to get much better at extracting and concentrating certain flavors, nutrients that we want while keeping out other nutrients that we don't want as much or that we want to limit and to really increase our capabilities and our toolkit of using seaweed. So also adventure adventure and exploring and, and new species, you know, all these things have to happen so that the new products are possible. And we're also building like a, a database with every seaweed species that we discover and explore. We kind of have to learn, okay, how how does it taste if it's growing in that area as compared to, so how does it taste in Norway? How does it taste in Ireland? Um, what age difference is there? Uh, it's something that is very basic in the food industry. Like if you want to make coconut water, <laughs> you will mix a lot of coconuts from all over the world. And and uh, you want to taste it the same always, so that, yeah. but that's with, with this new plants we have to we have to start from scratch, and there's yeah a lot uh, a lot of work to be done. Okay, fascinating. Where can I buy better fish tuna? Yeah, so right now we we are available in in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Denmark, the UK, and. The Netherlands are really high on our list, so we hope to be available there as well. 
and we are uh, yeah available in different supermarkets depending um, depending on where you are okay so not in spain anytime soon unfortunately not not yet but we've heard that we should really, so many people have told us we should really go there because it's uh, a big tuna you know, market here exactly exactly okay okay fantastic we are coming towards the end of the podcast now jacob is there any question i haven't asked that you think i should have or any aspect of this we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of no, I, I think I already talked too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think I managed to get, you know, to, to put all my to put all my points across. Okay, fantastic. Jakob, if people want to know more about yourself or about Better Fish or any of the things we discussed in the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? Yeah, so if you just want to learn more, then you, of course, uh, should check out our our new uh, websites uh, and I will send the links to you and uh, you can share them and uh, then you can find us also on, on most of the social media platforms uh, depending depending on what you're uh, preferring so uh, in a professional context maybe on LinkedIn or uh, on, on Instagram or Facebook uh, yeah perfect fantastic send me all those links I'll put them in the show notes that's great Jakob that's been really interesting thanks a million for coming on the podcast today yeah thank you so much Okay, we've come to the end of the show. Thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like to know more about Climate 21, feel free to drop me an email to tom.raftery at sap.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. If you liked the show, please don't forget to subscribe to it in your podcast application of choice to get new episodes as soon as they're published. Also, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really does help new people to find the show. Thanks. Catch you all next time.